peace and blessings, everybody. This is Karev from the Heritage Hip Hop Podcast. And I'm asking you, did you get your stimulus check yet? In this season of COVID-19 pandemics, people are going through hard financial crisis. Unemployment is skyrocketing. And people are looking for financial relief. To help you, this podcast episode is brought to you by Transparent Credit Repair, the superheroes of the financial credit repair world. If you're looking for some help to better your financial situation, you can contact them at 862-250-5122 or you can reach them at their website, www.transparentcreditrepair.com. Use the code HH1 for additional bonuses when it comes to securing their services. Once again, that's Transparent Credit Repair at 862-250-5122. This episode, we are bringing you a great lyrical and battle-tested MC. Whenever people talk about the East Coast, they talk about New York. And New York seems to be the focal point of hip-hop, and rightly so, it came from there. But besides New York, New Jersey, a lot of people forget about Boston and Philadelphia. And for this episode of Heritage Hip-Hop Podcast, we have Cassidy, battle-tested He's making beats, and he stepped back into the battle arena. Let's pick the mind of someone who's great when it comes to wordplay and delivery and see how hip-hop has evolved in the eyes of a lyricist. Take notes, because you just might learn something. And after this interview, I'll come back with my commentary. Peace. Peace and blessings, everybody. Welcome to Heritage Hip Hop. It's Karev back with you with another person who not only lives his hip hop, but he speaks his hip hop into reality. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I go by the name of Cassidy, man. The hustler, the problem. It's the chicken. Boss is back. What's up with you, boy? Man, I'm happy to get to talk to you. It's a blessing that I get to talk to you because growing up a fan of the hip hop culture, lyricists are a dying breed, and when you get to talk to one who really takes his time and make his pen as pronounced as you do, it's an honor, man. So thank you very much. Nah, I appreciate you for having me, man, but I got to disagree with you on, on um, lyricists as a dying breed. The lyricists okay. are still out here. Even the lyricists that you grew up listening to and loving, most of them are still alive. I mean, we lost a lot of great ones, but most of them are still alive and still here. And there's a new generation and new generations that came after that, the dudes that could really get it in and spit. But what you're talking about is the artists that get publicized, that get mainstream attention, that get the support, that get the machine behind them. Lately, those artists haven't been too lyrical. But it's still been a bunch of dudes that get busy, and that's nice with the pen all around the world. You're absolutely correct. And that's why I said it, because I wanted you to defend that. Because when I talk to a lot of people who listen to hip-hop, a lot of them don't really want to listen to the words, and it takes a special breed to really understand what the music is saying rather than to just nod their head. You see what I'm saying? I just think it depends on what you're listening to hip-hop for at that time. Um, A lot of other forms of music get categorized in the hip-hop category, but it's not necessarily hip-hop. So, you know what I mean? If you want to have fun and you want to dance and you want to party, that's not really the time where you might necessarily want to hear lyrics or be able to digest lyrics at the time. But, you know what I mean? You're not always in the club. You're not always dancing. You're not always partying. I mean, it's other bags that you be in. And there's times like this, like in corona season, when everybody locked in, all of the clubs is closed. You couldn't party if you wanted to. You can't, you can't, you can't gather up with no people and have no parties, no festivals. You can't be dancing all around and it's like sad times people out of work people don't know what to expect a lot of people are scared getting a lot of misinformation nowadays so it's like hard times people want to learn something people want to listen to to an artist that could teach them something or can make them feel better in these times and these are the times when you need bars and you need lyrics so i knew it was only a matter of time before the fans and the people was starting to feel going to feel different and demand people to be more lyrical you know what i mean but uh not to knock the people that's not lyrical because I enjoy that type of music too. But bars, lyrics is a core ingredient of hip hop, of rap music, 
So it can never leave. It always got to exist, and it always got to be the main ingredient in rap music and in hip hop. I agree. Now that 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 we do, we do both see, and I do my interviews different because you're already an established artist. And like I tell everybody, if you don't know who I'm talking to, do your googles. It's not my job or their job to keep reintroducing themselves to you, but it's for them, obviously, for them to get the understanding of you as well. So. We come from two different lands and territories. I didn't grow up with the Philadelphia mind of hip-hop. Can you tell me what was the what is the Philadelphia hip-hop culture and how were you groomed in it? Um, the Philadelphia culture is grimy, man. Schoolie D. Like, you know what I mean? Some of them dudes that was talking gangster rap from the beginning. Cool C. Mm -hmm. Steady D. E-S-S-E. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like a grimy city, and they always is um. It's like uh, I tell people that it's close to New York, like where hip hop supposedly started, like in the BX. It's not mm -hmm. too far from New York, like it's driving distance. So you still got that East Coast, you know what I mean, to us, but it's further down south. So you got different accents, different swags, different approaches. So. It's like a good place to be. It was always like a, a, a strong area that always represented bars and competition and, and dudes being competitive and talking that talk. It's a rough place to come up in if you, you know what I'm saying, if you're trying to do this rap stuff because there's always a lot of competition and people going to make you prove yourself in that city. Facts. How did hip-hop challenge you to become proficient and not just do it? Um. I knew I wanted to be a rapper in the fourth grade. I was in this fire prevention program after school, and the, the person that was running the fire prevention program was going around the class asking the kids what they wanted to be when they grew up. So they got to me. I was, like, kind of class clowning around and said, I want to be a rapper because I always was in love with hip-hop. My mom and my dad rapped before I was born, so I just was born in the hip-hop listening to it from birth. So I always loved rap, but I never actually rapped myself. I just told the teacher of that program that I was going to be a rapper. So the teacher said, write a rap about fire prevention, bring it to the class tomorrow, say it to the class, and we'll let you know if you could be a rapper or not. So I wrote my first rap about fire prevention, said it to the class the next day, and they went crazy. They yeah. was, like, responding like I was a star already. They couldn't believe that I wrote something that dope, and that was my first rap. So when I seen how I impressed people with just my words, I ain't even have to do nothing extra. All I had to do is just think about something, write it down, and I can impress people. So from that point on, I said I wanted to be a rapper. And the reason why I wanted to rap was to be the best lyrically. Mm. See, that, that's what inspires me, is hearing other people's stories and see how they pulled something from the spirit to become a leader, a linguist an orator of people who can move to their words, not only their beats. Is there a person who you studied that made you be more pronounced in your vocalization to make you speak better or pronunciate because you speak very clearly and you do not slur your words? What do you attribute that to? Um, I would have to say it, 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 it got a lot to do with the artists that I fell in love with early in hip-hop. Um, yeah. um, a lot of artists where I couldn't really understand everything, I didn't like it completely because I wanted to understand it all. I wanted to understand the whole story. So if it was large parts of the rap that was hard for me to understand, um, those artists wasn't my favorite. I mean, I might like a, a few songs they got, but I, those wasn't my favorite artists. The fav my favorite artist was the artist I could really understand. I could understand the lyrics and I could understand the figurative language or the wordplay that they, I could, the creativity that they was using, that always impressed me. So, um, and um, and, and and where I'm from too, you know what I mean. And plus, I was always like a smart kid. I always got straight A's all the way through school. I even went to um, Central High School, which is like one of the best high schools in the country. Mm -hmm. And it's like hard to get into that high school. So I was always a good student. I always had a good head on my shoulders, but also always in the street. So um, I don't got to really talk proper like 
you know, somebody that's trying to do politics and just use all of the proper words and the right, I mean, I can mm-hmm. mix it up with slang so that everybody can understand it. A person that's in the street or a person that's in school, it don't matter. And that's how I want to, I feel like you can reach the most people if you got that type of approach. And that's how I like to keep it. Or because that's an art within itself that people can talk, like E-40, for example, is the, is a, we call him a slangologist. He'll come up with new words all the time, but it's not. Yeah, it, yeah, and it, and it, but it's not the fact that he makes the words; it's the usage of the words. Like it's written, you want to get knowledge, wisdom, and understanding to be complete. Mm-hmm. When I hear your lyrics, you're giving people three, all three, because you're giving them time to hear you, time to understand you, and time to listen to you. Well, a lot of people are just rapping and not eloquently going for the three. So as a as a lyricist, what was the first time you rhymed that everybody knew your lyrics and it just took you back like wow people are really listening and hearing me? Um well the first rap I wrote that I told you about in the fire prevention um class, everybody loved it, but it wasn't like a record and I didn't keep saying it so everybody wasn't able to learn it. Right. But um I guess the first time um a lot of people started knowing my rap was uh um when I was fifteen I, I got on this radio show in Philly, it's called The Cipher. Zulu used to run it. It was on a radio one, one oh three point nine a beat. Right. It was um one oh three point nine, it was a radio one station, but FM. But Zulu show it used to do this thing called the cipher where you call up and you rap against a bunch of other people that call up. And if you, everybody, after y'all rap, everybody call up and vote for who they feel is the one. If you win, you become the champion and you come on the next night and everybody right. got to call up to try to beat you. Mm-hmm. So um, at the time, my manager was William Hart. He's the lead singer of the Delphonics, a famous legendary group. Right. And um, he did a lot of writing for a lot of legendary artists on top of that, on top of himself. So he was the lead singer of that group, went through a lot of trials and tribulations, even lost his publishing for years. So mm-hmm. he taught me a lot about the business. But he had a son that worked at the radio station, DJ Romance. He had his own show, but it was playing like smooth R&B in the late night. But he mm-hmm. told me about Zulu's show, so that's how I found out about it. And I listened, and I heard it. I figured out what it was, so I called up. And when I called up at the time... um. In Philly, we say the ball, and my name is Barry, my first name. So people used to call me B in the city, like in the street. But mm-hmm. that wasn't my rap. That wasn't my rap name at the time. But that was my name in the street. So mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting them to pick up the phone because most of the time it'd be busy, and then even when it ring, it just ring forever. But right. while I was ringing, they finally picked up. One of the three who is this? So they said it so quick, and it caught me off guard. I'm just like the ball B. And they like, all right, hold on. And they just clicked off. But I didn't know that they recorded that. So when I got on the cypher that night, they said, we got tonight the Bull B. So that became my rap name on the cypher. <laughs> I started winning that. I started winning that for months at a time. I started winning for so long that they had to retire me. And they made me a radio personality to analyze other people's battles. But that's how I started getting backstage passes the concerts, started meeting stars. Like, I met Wyclef, Busta Rhymes, Cannabis, like, people that was popping at that time because of me being on that radio show and doing so good. But that was the first time that I ever was able to, like, meet people, and they they used to record that show every night on tape that can play it back, play it back. So people knew a lot of those raps line for line, and I was able to hear other people saying my raps and knowing it by heart. That was, like, the first time I actually experienced it. And then the next time I was able to experience it on a large, large level was when I got uh when I got a record deal, you know what I'm saying? And I started to put together music. I started to do a lot of DVDs before I got my record deal and even right afterwards. So a lot of them DVDs before social media came out or was as popular as it is now, it was it it, it was doing what will be viral now. It was going crazy. So a lot of people around the world, even outside of my city, knew my rap then. Yeah, and I mean, for people who were outside of Philly, like myself, Philadelphia is, of course, 
we um, heard it from you from the battle with you and Freeway. And from there, you were catapulted to even a deal with Swizz Beats. Now, well, in no, doing that, let me, I'm sorry. Let me cut you off. I, I, I signed the Rough Riders when I was 17 years old in a three-man group called Larceny Family. Okay. They, they was, I wasn't in the group. I was a solo artist, but they was my team at the time. So when I got the opportunity to sign, I wanted to bring them on with me. Swizz right. Beats was the main producer at Rough Riders at the time, so that's how we started to build our relationship. Um, right. A few years after that, he decided he wanted to do his own thing and get his own publishing company, but he needed an artist. And he wanted me as a solo artist. Even though I was in the three-man group, he wanted me solo. So mm-hmm. we, discuss- we discussed that we made that happen, and that's when I went and got a deal with Jay Records. Bob mm-hmm. Davis at the time. So because Full Surface Swiss Beats, that was my production company, and I had a I had a, a artist deal with Jay Records. So I was already signed when the freeway battle happened. I actually was um, in the studio that time recording like my first project. So I was already signed to Swiss at that time. He was there. You know what I mean? We was already yeah. working and we was already, I was already signed at that time. But I didn't actually release any singles or, you know what I mean, take off on the mainstream level yet. People only knew me from battling and if they heard about my name or from the DVDs or if you was from my city and that cipher I was telling you about. Right, and that was the question I was going to go into. Thank you for the backstory. I appreciate that. What I was going to ask you was, when you come from the battle aspect, because when you're on the street and you're rhyming, that's not song structure. That's not bar structure. That's punchlines and kicks. How was the transition from being a person who could just go to a person to now have to count bars and get a hook? How did that transition affect you as you were rhyming for now with a deal or in the studio? Um, I started making the transition before I had a deal. I okay. told you um, my first manager was William Hart, the lead singer of the Delphonics. Mm-hmm. He had a son named um, he had a son named Lid. He passed away, rest in peace. But mm-hmm. he was the one of my first producers. He was making tracks, so that's when I was getting in the studio and started to make songs on beats and started to write and count bars and write hooks and come up with topics and structure songs. I started working on that then. But I still, I didn't have a deal. It's not like the songs was going on the radio or we was doing anything with the songs. So my main focus still at that time was bars and just spitting. It didn't matter if it was a beat or a song. Just proving I was the best lyrically was my main focus at that time. I knew if I could do that, then I could get in the position I wanted to be in. But once I got a deal and I knew it came time to making songs and I got with Swiss, I did have to learn a lot and then make a lot of adjustments. And I just came from working, grinding, putting in the work, analyzing the game. I told you I was always a fan and I always studied it. So it wasn't right. really um, that difficult um, for me to, to learn and make the transition to um, making songs. The only um, difficulty I had was the type of songs. You know what I mean? The direction mm. that I wanted to go in in the beginning and being with a, a record label like J Records, which was used to putting out pop music, top 40 right. music, like crossover music. They wasn't mm-hmm. used to dealing with rap music. So they wanted me to get the biggest records in the world, but I wanted to get the dopest, hardest records in the world. So it was like kind of like the clash in the direction that I was going in in the beginning. But, you know, all that came with time, I learned, and now I got it down pack. I got it perfect. Well, I've been had it perfect for years, but at this point in time, there's nothing I can't do in the studio. Well, and I mean, that journey is what makes the MC. Because everybody likes to finish product, but a lot of people don't appreciate the journey. So going back to the journey of when you was just starting the um the bar structure to even your first song that you came out with. I want to ask you because I hate to put MCs in categories because I think that's crap. I, I don't think either you either are or you're not or you're not. And then there's certain styles. Like we could compare Michael Jordan and LeBron. They're both basketball players. They had different games, but they're both basketball players. So you appreciate the art of the game through how they do it. The that's art of lyric the art of lyricism could come through how you put a song together or how you battle and make a punchline. What was, how do you know the difference in both being a lyricist? Because me, if I talk to you, I don't write bars or create like you create. So 
what's what's more impactful, being the in the battle and giving that punch, or being on a track and giving that thought provoking line for someone to catch? Um, they both are important, and that's the science to to writing. So if you understand the science, you'll know how to do them both. But I'll give you a analogy or a comparison so you can understand it better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's similar to comedy, and it's like stand-up comedy compared to um, comedy in a movie that makes you laugh. Now, some of the best stand-up comedians might not be good in movies. The movie comedy might not be as funny as they is on stage. And some of the funniest dudes in movies or on TV shows might not really be that funny on stage, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying, or to you and your personal opinion. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And that's because stand-up comedy is like the jokes have to hit hard. You have to be able to take control over the crowd that's there. And the jokes have to be able to hit right away because as soon as you say it, you want the whole crowd to laugh at the same time. So that means or around the same time. So that means everybody got to be able to catch it. So it's like the same thing with like punch lines and like to no beat or battle rap. It's like when you say these type of lines, you want all of the people that's listening at that time to be able to catch it right away, just like stand-up comedy. But mm. writing songs is like movie comedy. It's like people will watch movies, you know what I mean, over and over again, and they'll watch movies for other reasons than the comedy. So it's like, it's a, it's a different type of comedy that you got to do in a movie. You know what I'm saying? They don't necessarily even got to hit right away or hit as hard as like it would on the stage, but it got that that longevity in it to where you could keep seeing it and you keep laughing. Sometimes stand-up comedy and make you bust out laughing the first time you hear it, but if you hear that joke again, you might not laugh, you know what I'm saying, the next time. I might be like, hi, I heard it already. But sometimes <laughs> movie comedy, you know what I mean, you could, like some of your favorite comedy movies, you might have watched it a bunch of times and laughed a bunch of times, like at the same stuff. Sometimes I don't watch movies so much, I remember all of the words. I'm saying the words with the movie and I'm still laughing with it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's just like a different, it's a different way that you got to um, think and a different way that you got to deliver it because you want it to hit different. True. You know what I think about how you rhyme? Please walk on this journey with me. Are you a fan of the movie Blood and Bone? Blood and Bone? The Mike, the Michael Jai White movie, the fighting movie. I I seen it, but it's so long ago, and I think okay. I probably, I ain't, I'm not, I don't really know it too good. All right, well, I'm gonna paint the picture of a, of something in that movie that reminds me of you. Was personally. that the one in the beginning when he was in the jail? And yes. They tried to run down on him. Yeah. Yes. I, I seen it, and I think Kimbo was in that John or something. Yes. Yep. That's the one. I've yeah, seen it, but. I'm not, I ain't, I only seen it that one time and I, I'm not too familiar with it. I have to go okay. to begin there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, then you, you, you may enjoy this. Maybe you'll agree with me. There's a certain part of that movie that reminds me of you. And this is the part. It's a part where they try to cheat, um, Bone. And he had to get some money. And the guy was so pissed off, he kept sending people after Bone to, to beat him up. And what they did was for every person who lined up against him, he knocked them down. But he knocked them down a different way. You know what I'm saying? One guy got a kick. One guy got a chop. One guy got flipped over, then broken. Another guy got something else. And that kind of reminded me of you for this mm-hmm. interview. And the reason why is because if you really listen to a Cass- the Cassie's catalog or Cassie's song, you don't deliver the bars and the songs the same way, whether it's I'm a hustler or whether it's – um. Any of your singles, but one of my favorite songs that you did is um, "Hey." Thank those songs, those songs are very different, and everybody can say, "Yeah, Cassie got bars. Cassie got bars." Unless you really understood what he's saying, you're not going to really understand that he's hitting you with different messages, different ways, and different bars. How did you get that technique down? Um, well, God-given talent and just work, man. You know what I'm saying? I've been working every day for the last twenty years. So always being nice, like from when I first started, when I was 17, I was the nicest in the city. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I had my city on Smash when I was a teenager and everybody saying you the dopest at that time. 
Mm-hmm. So most people would kick their feet up and feel like, all right, I'm already hot enough. I could just stay like this. But I was determined to, to you know what I mean, constantly get better and better and better. So right. just constantly wanting to get better, constantly studying and constantly trying to better yourself. You just learn. You just learn a bunch of different ways to attack. Plus, I'm not a one-topic type of rapper. Like, from my first album, I called the Split Personality to let people know that you're not just going to get one style of music from me. I'm going to jump on all different type of topics to talk about whatever I want to talk about at the time. I'm going to put whatever I, whatever I want to talk about in rap form and, and give it to you. So because of that, you can't rap the same way or deliver it the same way because you want a different impact. Just like a comedy movie ain't going to be like just like a horror movie, and it ain't just going to be like an action movie or a drama. It's going to be shot different, different camera angles. You might use different cameras, different actors, different. Um, it's definitely going to have to have different scoring, different music in the movie that, that make you feel different. So it's like that's what I try to do with all of my music, and that's why you might feel like it hit different. It's a different sounds, different beats per minute, different topics. I use different tones of voice. It's like, I mean, I, I go in all different directions. It's not the same format. It's not like 16 hook, 16 hook, or 8 hook, 8 hook, or 12 hook, 12. It's like the same format every time. There's no telling what I'm going to do. And that's what I think hip-hop is about, about just being free and able to do whatever you want to do. I think that's the that's what's missing. A lot of people just try to carbon copy now and do exactly what everybody else do. And I think that's what's kind of tarnishing hip-hop but everything else is is definitely growing and it's better and it's and it's getting bigger but i just want dudes to start being more original and going in the own lane and not just following the same cookie cutter format i agree and that that, that kind of lends me to a question that you you just kind of kind of made this question come up is who said the rhyme that made you step back and reevaluate your style to know that there is a better um, I'm so much of a, a student of the game, a bunch of dudes for different reasons, not all the same reasons. Like some of it was, um, wordplay. Some of it like, like G-Rap, like his wordplay, the amount of syllables he rhyme and how often he do it. Like in a two bar space, you might have five or six rhymes, like just in the two bar space when other people was only doing one. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like that. That made me know I had to step it up. Hearing Law Finesse say shit like, uh, uh, if we, we could battle, I'll let you pick the winner. I drop heavy shit like I had bricks for dinner. Now pick mm-hmm. the winner, pick the winner and bricks for dinner is four syllables. It's like people was rhyming one syllable at that time when he was piecing up four. And it's a punch. I drop heavy shit like I had bricks for dinner. So it's like when I heard stuff like that back back in the day, even before I thought about rapping, it just made me just know, like, when I heard Scarface putting them stories together and just talking that street talk, it made me feel like I had to step it up. When I heard Special Ed come out with I Got It Made, he was flossing on them like a young boy, but telling you you could get money and you could style on them. That made me want to step it up. When I heard, like, KRS one schooling dudes so many times about just how is how how the culture and racism and and the cops and and oppression and how the cop he was talking about black cop and he's been talking about cop oppression way before people started knowing about it. You know what I'm saying? It's like Chuck D when he was he made me feel happy to be black. I actually recently did this song called The Four Elements and mm. I broke down a lot of it. You know what I mean? It's, it's all about hip-hop. That's what the song is about. And I start from when hip-hop began, and I stop at 9-6. But I give you a whole rundown of how that changed my life, the people that affected me, and, and how they affected me, and how they made me into me. So I feel like that's what a lot of artists need to do, school the next generation on what came before them, because you can't blame them for not knowing or not doing what they supposed to do if nobody was there to teach them and there's no there's no way you could look it up at really you know what i'm saying so it's like up to us to just get them the layout so that's what i'm here to do man because i love hip-hop i love this i am hip-hop like i am bars so you know what i mean i feel obligated true indeed and i'm glad you brought that up because that's my favorite um 
That's my favorite project from you is the Bars album, the very Adrian Reese story. Yeah, I think. Is, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that I was just saying that album was coming at the hard time, like right after I just um, went to prison. They was trying to give me life without the possibility. So I got out of that case, and right after I got out of that case and started working, I got in a nearly fatal accident, went in a coma, had amnesia, lost my memory. So after I went through all that is when I did the Bars album. So there a lot of emotion and soul in that album because I was going through a lot. Yeah, and that's what makes, I think, MCs MCs to me is the emotional depth and how they paint the picture of life. So you can walk in and see the emotion rather than just listen to the music. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to yeah. ask you this. Off of that, after that project came out, you did a freestyle. This was one of the most impressive rhymes I heard from you. You did an acapella freestyle on The Breakfast Club about your relationship with God. Since, yeah. since you got close with the Most High, how did that make you a better MC than just a spiritual guy who raps? Uh, well, from day one, I always had a relationship with the higher power. But True. I guess going through them trials and tribulations, like I told you, the jail situation and the accident, it made me um, want to get closer, want to analyze how I was living my life and everything I was going through. You know what I mean? And a lot of people... Uh, um, might say thank God after they win an award or say, yo, I want to thank God I got my deal, but they don't really go into it too much unless it's a gospel singer or something like that. So I just wanted to let people know. I actually wrote that when I was locked up. That's the bag I was in. So mm -hmm. I had a bunch of different raps I could have spit on all different type of topics, but I just felt that that time it was just something unique. Like until this day, I still never seen nobody do that on a breakfast club. I really don't even really see people rap that much, but if they do, it's nothing like that. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I I just wanted to, I, I just felt like I needed to do that at that time. But, of course, um, my relationship with the higher power and what I went through is definitely make me a better MC because it gives me more to talk, to talk about. And other, more people can relate to me. Like, they might can't relate to the other topics I talk about, but they could relate and connect with me when I talk about those things. So any type of information that you got and you could bring to the table and make you a better MC. Yeah, I feel that. Because then you had a story to tell. We already knew you were nice with your words. But then when you start telling people a story, that's where you pull on the heartstrings and the imagination of the listener. And that's why well, a lot of people, especially lyricists or lyrical people, we always wonder, what is their story and can they tell stories? Do you miss story rap or do you wish for that to come back? Um, I think, I don't think story rap left so much. It's just that the beat per minute, that was in demand at the time was more party and fast. So okay. if it's like a party song and it's like super fast, it's going to be more difficult to tell stories. Fact. I mean, like I got a story to tell. They play that in the clubs and it's like you can dance to it, but it's like a different beat per minute than what's popping right now. So in order to really be able to get in depth and tell a story, you would need a different beat per minute so people would be able to follow it and understand it. And um, I think those that's coming back. Like you know, what I'm saying it's like we had a long period of time of just um fast beat per minute. It's not saying that's gonna go out. We still gonna have songs for the party that's like that, but right. also people gonna want you know what I mean different beats per minute storylines. People gonna want to hear um stories. People gonna want to learn. People gonna want to uh grow from listening to music more. Now, like, I mean, 2020, 2021, 2022, you're going to start to see um, a difference. I hope so, because that's the that's the, the art of our culture, whether it comes where people want to say it begins with slavery or people really believe that our culture is the spiritual books people follow in their churches and everything today. Our story is what makes us endure. 
hieroglyphics, the Harlem Renaissance, hip-hop. What is the main story that you want people to understand? Not your legacy, but what is the main story you want people to understand when they finally sit down and re-examine the books, the rhymes, and, and all the techniques that you've put down? That I'm the GOAT. That I'm the greatest of all time, man. And I, and I, and that's all I really cared about. A lot of people do this in the industry for different reasons. I'm not saying you can be in it for different reasons. Some dudes just businessmen that see the opportunity to get money or to get success or to get girls, to get famous, to get a lot of things. People be in it for a lot of different reasons. But I never cared about that. I told you when I spit that rap in, in elementary school, and I impressed people with my words. I just wanted to continue to do that. And I wanted to be the best at that. Mm. Like, And I knew it was possible if I just kept working. So that's why even to this day, um, even while we on quarantine and we locked in, I still never stop working. If you go on my social media, you would see that I put up uh, um, freestyles to beats that I made damn near every day. You know what I mean? Just to show people that I'm constantly working and I'm never letting up. And that don't got nothing to do with the features that I'm getting all the time. And the, the album and the songs that I'm putting together, it don't got nothing to do with that. That's just extra stuff that I'm giving out to the streets just to show them I'm working. And I've been out for so long. And you even see these young cats or old cats, nobody is matching my work ethic to this day. So that's what I want people to know that you got to, Really go in. You got to take it serious. Never let up. Put your all into it. And you see people that put their all into it no matter what profession it is. You see how good they do. That's why Floyd was able to be undefeated because any boxer that you talk to other than Floyd to let you know his work ethic is incredible. Everybody will say, like, yo, he always work. He never let up. Like, he always on his job. And that's why he got the best results. So I'm trying to implement the same techniques. And I want everybody that come after me to do the same. Just take it serious and just stay focused. Never let up. And that's how we're going to get the best music ever. Facts. Yeah, I appreciate that. Do you want to talk about the battle arena or why you stepped into battle rap? Um, I am battle rap. My battle career was from 95 to 2001. Mm -hmm. And after that point, I got a record deal. I started making music and started getting paid. So I let people know that I wasn't coming back to battle rap unless I got 250000 And at mm -hmm. that time, everybody thought it was a joke. Everybody thought it was impossible because nobody was getting money, period, from battle rap. Better yet, 250000 They thought it was impossible. But I knew the energy that was in battle rap. I knew how big it was, and I knew how much work I had put in already. And I know how much of an impact the me and Freeway battle made. And I just knew that there was money in it. So mm -hmm. that's why no league or no company or nobody in the world was able to get that type of money up to bet or nothing like that. So that's why y'all didn't see me battling um, for 13 years. And then... They finally got up enough money, the 250000 that I said I wanted. They finally got it up, but it took 13 years, and that's when I came back to battle rap and I battled disaster. So um, the reason why I got back in the ring is because they finally came up with the money that I was asking for for all of them years. But if they would have came up with it in 2001 or 2002 or 2005 or eight or whatever, I would have been back then, you know what I'm saying? Because I love battle rap. I love being competitive. And I don't feel like it take away nothing from my music or whatever else I'm doing. So um, that's the reason why I got back recently in the battle rap because they bought the right chicken to the table. And I'm when people like hungry. It's like being on. It's like being a dope fiend and just going around all these people just shooting up dope and the best dope and they looking super high. It's like you gonna have you gonna be like tempted. You gonna want to get back in the ring. So when I used to go to battles or watch battles. I used to always be tempted and wanted to do it, but it just wasn't right on the business side. So until they got it right on the business side, I couldn't get back in the ring. What artists that are battle rappers impress you the most? You just had a battle with Arsenal. You had names out there like you know Shotgun Shug, Double O, Sue Surf, etc. There's a lot of people in that list. I'm not really a big fan of it. I acknowledge it. But who out there impresses you that you will put somebody on to follow and watch? A battle rapper? 
Yeah. Like I said, it's another genre of hip hop that's that's pronounced. But even in the mainstream is trying to take battle rap and bastardize it. So like for me, I'm not really too big on battle rap, but I acknowledge it. I don't know who to follow or what to follow. I just not listen to bark punchlines. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But who impresses you that made you listen to them or even think about stepping in the ring or in the arena with them? I wouldn't say no battle rapper impressed me because even when the first battle league started, I already had 10 years, like, out of battle rap. So I already mm-hmm. felt, like, super advanced from the style that they used. So I never was, like, impressed. But I do like a lot of them. Like, you know what I'm saying? I like a lot of them for all different reasons. I mean, a lot of battle rappers from Lux to Mook to... um even the newer cats like Geechee Gotti and uh, Rum Nitty and uh, um, it's like so many battle rappers that I like. You know what I mean? I like a lot of them, like for all different reasons. They like got a, I like Disaster. I like Pat Stay. Like I even like white boys like that. I like, I like all different type of people, man. Like you know what I'm saying? There's a bunch of people that's dope that get busy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even no. people like Hitman, um, Conceited, Charlie Clips, uh, that's the wild enough. There's a bunch of dudes that just, I mean, got legacies, been doing it for a long time, then there's newcomers that might not been doing it for too long, like, like, uh, like Swamp or like, like one of these new dudes that's up and coming that might not have got too much of a history, but super nice. You know what I mean? But I wouldn't say I'm impressed like they just blowing my boots off, but I do think a lot of them <laughs> nice and got super potential. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so see, you just you made me laugh, which is great. I, um, I have to ask you then, what's the most gratifying battle to win? The battle rap with the crowd, or will you go verse for verse on a song with another MC? Um, at this point, uh, I mean, a battle is more, is more, I'm, I'm trying to body stuff, whatever, man, whether it's a battle or a song, I take the same approach. Like, I can't even pick and choose, like, what, what'll make me feel better because I try to get the same results no matter what. Like, whether it's a song, a battle, whatever we doing, like, I'm always trying to be the best. Like, you know what I mean? That's what I do no matter what. So, it don't matter. It's all the same. Okay. Well, I got to ask you about one more track before we close out our interview, and it's called It's a Rap, W-R-A-P. Tell me about that. Um, That was a record that I put together, uh, I think, a little uh, after my last battle, I think. Yeah, after the last battle that I had. Mm-hmm. And I just started getting back in the studio and start working, so that was like one of the one of the first records that I started to put together to let people know the bag I was in and to let people know it's a rap bars is back. I'm about to jump all the way back in my bag and get busy on the music side now that the battle is over. So that's what that song meant is a rap. Okay. Well, all I can ask you besides that is you've been in the music arena and you also put your face on camera outside of the arena. Where else does Cassidy want to go? to solidify his legend that much more than being more of a, a man of music. What else would you like to do? Um, well, I'm producing now for the last six months. I've been producing heavy. I ain't got a lot of time in, but I've been producing a lot lately, so I'm about to drop a project called Bars and Beats, and I'm going to write 100% of and produce 100% of. Like, uh, his record's out on all platforms now that I produce. Is Barry, Tom, Hate, uh, Goat, Shit, Navigation, uh, a bunch of records that I produced recently that's on all platforms that y'all can check out, but I'm coming with a bunch more. So I just want to continue to grow on the production side. Want to be able to executive produce, produce a lot of artist projects, continue to ghostwrite and teach people the science so that they can learn. Um, um, Books coming soon, movies coming soon, my documentary coming soon. Uh, everybody that's listening too, 
go log on and um look at this merchandise that I got is crazy. This bars was back there is at www.cassidythehustler.com. www.cassidy is d a h u s t l a. CassidyTheHustler.com. www.cassidythehustler.com. That's where you could go see all the merchandise, my new videos, and we'll keep you in tune with everything that I got going on. Um, I got a bunch of artists that I'm working on. They projects that's coming soon. Reggae, Ratchet, Serta, Jag, Chubby Jag. He about to drop a project real soon. So the team is working, man. We working hard. I got a lot of things that's coming together in 2022 that I don't really want to, um, speak on because it's not as in stone. It's not finalized. Like my next battle and a lot of things that I got coming up this year that I can't speak on yet because it's not edged in stone, but I got a lot of things that's coming up this year. Nice. Yeah, we got some artists who were excited to know that I was interviewing you, and they wanted to say, they said, yo, tell Cassie to come out here so we can we can, we can work. I want to hear this work. <laughs> so Yeah, let's I, work. Let's work. Yeah. Yeah, if anybody want to get with me to work, they can get with me at shit Liddy at Gmail. S H I T L I T T Y at Gmail. Alright. I'm always so, man. working, man. So hit me, hit me. Let's get to this chicken. Alright, man. So like I said, that was a great it was a great interview. I hope you liked it. Cause I, went, I didn't want to ask you questions that everybody asks you every interview. So that's what we do at Heritage Hip Hop. We believe hip hop is God and it encompasses all parts of our lives. So we go to the intelligence of the MC, not just the bars, because you're more than bars and beats. You are a complete man in the image of the most high. So with that being said, I have, oh, no doubt. With that being said, we have five questions that we want to end the interview out. It's called the rapid fire questions. They're not yes or no questions. I don't care what your favorite color is or what you like to eat. I care about you as the artist and the man and how you inspire the world. Are you ready for the five questions? You said it's a yes or no answer? No, it's not a yes or no. It's your thoughts. It's, it's, it's oh, your complete oh, oh, thoughts. Oh, oh, okay, okay. All right. All right. So here we go. Here's the first question. What was the most rewarding collab you ever did, and why was it rewarding for you? The most rewarding collab I ever did was mm -hmm. um, Hotel with R. Kelly because that collab made me the most money. Okay, cool. Second question. Exclude yourself, because we're always going to put ourselves the best. Who are the five most dangerous MCs that came out of Philly, in your opinion? And they don't have to be mainstream. It's giving respect to the culture of, of hip-hop in Philadelphia history. Repeat that question. Sorry, man. I, I, I had – sorry, repeat that question one time. I said, who are the – besides yourself, I want you to exclude yourself, who are the top five – MCs to come out of Philly, and they don't have to be mainstream. I ask you this question so people can do their research. If there was somebody you respected that was not in the game, uh, the top five MCs—that's hard because there's so many dope people. But I would have to say, um, Schoolie D, uh, let's see, Schoolie D. I'm going to say Beanie Siegel. I'm going to say uh, AR Ad. I say, um, who else, man? <laughs> I say, and I can't, it's so many people that I want to name for different reasons that's dope in Philly, man. It's like, it'd be hard, man. I had to say, Somebody that y'all probably won't know that ain't making like cheek raw. And, okay. Uh, Nina Ross. Like Nina okay. Duke. Okay, that's what I want. I want to hear new names because unfortunately, when it comes to the mainstream, we hear the same people, but yet we don't get we don't get to hear many others who have built a foundation in hip hop that don't get that that homage. You know what I'm saying? Question yeah, number. Somebody, oh, so sorry. Many dope people from Philly, man. Like that be state property added on Smash. Everybody that says state property dope, major figures added on Smash. Everybody that's in major figures dope. Um, Philly's most wanted. Everybody that's in Philly's most wanted dope. Um, and there's like a bunch of other clicks, man, that's in the city, man, and dudes that's been getting it in for years that 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 give it up. So. I can't wait to meet him. I definitely want to meet him. 
some of this. Some I of actually did a song. I actually did a song called "City of Brotherly Slugs." They could Google that, look it up on YouTube. Um, Wayne put a lot of push behind it. It came at a funny time, but it's called "City of Brotherly Slugs," and it's a it's a song that I did with all Philly artists, and I did. I put a bunch of Philly artists from newer cats like Green Dollars and you know what I mean and 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 Cicero to even people like Charlie Baltimore, Gilly the Kid, Dark Low. It's a bunch of people on there from Philly, so go check that song out and y'all be able to hear um, a nice little list of cats from Philly. Well, no doubt, and you can tell anybody. They can always come to Heritage Hip Hop, and we'll give them the love and respect and support that they deserve as being part of our culture. So Question number hip hop man, y'all keep doing y'all you. thing, man. Thank you. Question number three: What is the difference between a Philly MC, a Jersey MC, and a New York MC? The accent. You hear me? Yeah, I'm. I'm with you. The accent. That. Yeah, the accent, mostly. Oh, that's it? You know what I mean? There's a lot of similarities because it's, like, close. I mean, mm-hmm. that tri-state area is close, so you could find a lot of um, similarities. Of course, you know what I mean? The territory is different, so the things that they rap about is going to be slightly different, but it's hoods in New York and Jersey and in Philly. It's the same type of crimes, the same type of oppression, the same type of stuff. So, you know, you're going to have artists speaking on the same type of things. The only thing that really make them different is, like, you know what I mean, the accent and the slang that they use, you know what I mean, be slightly different. Yeah. I love the fact when I want to go to New York, I can see Hebrew Israelites there. I can see Hebrew Israelites in North, and I can see Hebrew Israelites in downtown Philly, which is great. Because that means at least we have a culture that ciphers around faith, religion, society, ethnic culture. It's a beautiful thing. That's why I love hip-hop. Without a question. Without a question. Yep. Number two, and this question is really derived from your artistry rather than your rhyme style, okay? Uh, what is the most fulfilling song you feel you've made, and what song is it? Um, I haven't made it yet. I don't know, man. I look at all each of my songs like my kids. And plus, I've been around for so long that I've been in different bags. So it's like I might have made a song 20 years ago, and when I wrote it, it might have meant the most to me then. But I'm in a different place. I don't even feel the same as I might have felt at that time now. So it might not mean as much now as the song I wrote yesterday. So that's a hard question because I've been in it for so long and doing it so long at a high magnitude and always creating and also ghostwriting and creating songs for other people that I'm so happy with too. That it is just I I can't really answer that question with one song. That's dope because that but means you, you, the you only live way that your I art. could possibly the only way that I could possibly answer that is the same way that I answered the feature. Like I did features with so many dope people. I um it's just like too many for me to even. Probably name. I know I'm gonna forget so many names as I don't work with so many dope people. But I just yeah, the Banana Clips series is dope, and that's when you really like have a lot of features on your thing. The Banana Clips volume one and two. Thank you, thank you. But yeah, that's why I just said Kels because it was like a big. My, I mean, one of my biggest singles, and I'm gonna be able to just perform and tour it forever and make bread. So that's why I said, you know, what I mean, I picked that feature. So as far as that, I is most fulfilling. I would have to say. You know what I mean? One of the biggest songs that was the most impactful on the streets, like, I'm a hustler. You know what I mean? It was like when I wanted to make the transition from just doing top 40 records to do a hard record, do a record that wasn't supposed to make radio, wasn't supposed to be popular, wasn't supposed to be a hit, and make it a hit. And I knew I could do that. So when I put together I'm a hustler, um, even the company that was behind me ain't believe in it because... And the hook is, I'm a hustler, I'm a, I'm a hustler, homie, nigga ask, nigga, nigga ask about me, nigga ask, nigga, nigga ask about me. That's already like seven niggas right there, just in the chorus. <laughs> yeah. so they didn't feel like that was a good radio record, they didn't feel like the topic would come across right, but I knew it would. And it actually was the first platinum ringtone 
I was locked up when the I'm a Hustler album dropped, but this still was a platinum single. It went crazy, and it was super dope, and people going to always remember that record, and it was hard, you know what I mean? So being to the fact that I made that type of impact with that type of record, I would have to say I'm a Hustler was a dope record. Yes, it is. It's a classic. It also, it's a classic. Was, produced, it also was produced by Swiss Beats and had a Jay-Z feature on it, so mm-hmm. it was dope. Well, I'm 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 gonna I'm go on I'm gonna go online and say no matter how dope the collabs are, you're a dope MC without them. And hate for everybody listening. If you haven't heard the song, you need to go check that out because hate is the hook is the hook is real, and and, and, and it catches you. And the wordplay is phenomenal as always. So here's the last question. And, well. and I pro- I'm sorry. And I produce and I produce that song. So the hundred percent of that song is me, man. That's what's up. That's what's up. The final question. We already talked about your story, which is being the GOAT. My most important question I ask every artist is about their legacy. Now, your goal, being the GOAT is the story, but how did you make the world better because you did hip-hop and you survived? I made the world better by showing people that hard work and dedication pay off. You could believe in yourself and make it happen. You could overcome things that people don't think that you can overcome. When I got in my car accident and I suffered that brain damage, they they told people I never was going to be able to rap again. And now I feel like I'm rapping better than everybody in the world. So, you know what I mean? I was able to do things that was people thought was impossible. You know what I mean? Able to get my first record deal at 17 when I had to have my mom come sign for me because I wasn't even old enough to sign my first contract. People thought that was impossible. Just always um, not always having it easy, but being able to fight and stand up and believe in yourself and never letting up and always coming out on top. So I think showing that to the world is what helped a lot of people. A lot of people always DMing me, emailing me, telling me how I got them through rough times, tough times, or how I inspired them to want to be lyrical or to want to look into bars or figurative language or how to be dope. I actually went to another country before. and um, uh, I was in uh, Russia. No, I was in Kazakhstan. I was somewhere. I was in one of them countries, but um, I was, and a a guy told me that he learned English because of my raps. He said he, he heard my raps back in the day. And when he seen the video, he didn't speak English, but the way my facial expressions was and the way I was delivering it, it looked so serious that he wanted to know what I was saying, but he mm. couldn't understand what I was saying. So he said, man, just to, so I could understand what you were saying, and people were saying you were so hot, and I could tell by you were saying it, but I couldn't understand it, so I had to learn English to understand your rap. He was like, and now I speak English fluently and I know all of your raps and I, I was just like going crazy over that so um that helped that man learn English so I hope different people around the world in different ways but I guess I do that by just believing in myself and just sticking to the script for everybody out there listening first of all Cass I appreciate you for doing Heritage Chip Hop but I'm also appreciative to the most high because you survived and we were able to have this conversation so thank you to him and thank you to you as well and thank you as well, man. And thank him for letting you be here to do your thing, man. Keep doing your thing, man. You're good at it, man. Don't never let up, boy. Appreciate you. And I hope to meet you in person so we could do another one. You know what I'm saying? That would be a blessing. I hope so, too, though. But until then, man, keep doing your thing, man. Hold That's right. Down, man. Stay corona-free, man. <laughs> you, too. Take care of your, you and yours, all right? So to everybody out there listening, we say peace, and we out. Once again, this is Karev from the Heritage Hip Hop family, and we'd like to say thank you for listening to this great podcast with Cassidy. As he said, stay corona free and always let the most high guide you in everything that you do. Before we get out of here, we want to give a shout out to our team, Fatty's Place, Diamonds Entertainment, LLC, Wildfire Marketing, and The Big A Show. If you're looking to 
book on Heritage Hip Hop, all you have to do is email us at karev at heritagehiphop.com. You can follow us on all social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. Just Google us. We are out there. If you would like to donate or be a part of making Heritage Hip Hop grow, we have a cash app, which is dollar sign K-A-R-E-V-Y-A-H. And we also have apparel. You want to respectfully help us grow our platform by buying some t-shirts or something to wear to show the world your allegiance to New Jersey hip-hop and the growing platform, you could visit our store at www.storefrontier.com forward slash heritage hip-hop. We have returned the classic New Jersey hip-hop t-shirts. We have our hoodies. And it's a, it's a help for everybody out there who's trying to do something great in New Jersey hip-hop by representing the culture where they come from and our sound. So for everybody out there that listened to this podcast, once again, we thank you. We say peace and we out. Peace.